Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The show is sponsored by Matt Rock, our first official sponsor. My thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music. They're online at respectsextet.com, and they've got a bunch of great albums there. And please buy them, and then go see the guys whenever they're performing in your area. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the show's logo. He's online at twitter.com slash Dave Vrabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. The 100 by 300 membership campaign is rapidly drawing to a close. As you're listening to this, there are 24 days left if you're listening to it on Monday, the 18th of July. And I need 36 members as I'm recording this intro. Thanks to uh, Kevin Ray, Kyoko Kitamura, and Jonathan Matz, who recently became members of the show. I need you now. To join them and the other folks who have done that, I need 36 members by the 300th, 36 more, I should say, by the 300th show in order to keep the show going, and time is rapidly running out. But the pace of memberships has picked up, uh, or it had for a couple of weeks. It's kind of slacked off a little bit in this last week. So please hop on the bandwagon and join the jazz session for as little as $10 a month and help keep this show going past number 300. Thanks. I've had a couple experiences recently where I went to interview a musician and ended up staying for several more hours than the interview took. And one of those experiences was uh, when I went out to New Jersey to interview Adam Rudolph. And we just ended up having this really beautiful conversation even after the interview, uh, just about music and about the music business and life in general. And he proved to be one of those people who is uh, really fun to talk to on a wide range of subjects. Adam's got a new record out called Both And with his Moving Pictures band. Here's the opening track from that album, Return of the Magnificent Spirits.
My guest is Adam Rudolph. It's such a pleasure to, to be here in this Adam Rudolph Studios. Thanks for having me out here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, the the new record with uh, Moving Pictures is called Both And, and it was hard for me to know what I was going to ask about first. But I guess I decided on uh, maybe a statement that I'll ask you to react to, which is that this this record feels to me like it connects with me in a very kind of deep way mm. because it seems to admit the, the music seems to admit almost any emotion you care to attach to it it seems very open mm. uh, spacious music that's not just kind of nailed down into some like genre bag or, or convention right. Right. Um, so I thought maybe I'd just ask you to, to react to that idea a bit that idea behind the compositional process for this record well, uh, you know, I appreciate your, you know, your feedback, and and um, I mean, of course, it's the intention that uh, um, you know for for an artist to want to make a connection, uh, and I'm always happy, you know, when people are moved by the music, you know, um, that's what we do it for. It's really to, it's really t- to me, it's about the expression of the heart. And that that has to do with the, you know expressing feelings and thoughts and ideas, and really making that connection with the heart of another individual, you know, and uh, um, uh, you know, kind of sharing that energy. I mean, that's what the intention, that's what the broader intention is all about, you know, in terms of what we do as creating, um, trying to create something beautiful. In regards to like the more. Um, technical aspect I, I guess I thought to me the idea of uh, process is very important and um, I've discovered that when um, you can you uh, can uh, invent new creative processes that the music itself uh, ends up becoming prototypical and it sounds like itself and uh, that's always been really important uh, intention and and I think one of the things that's interesting about having the music sound like itself is that the feeling that a person like yourself the listener can have is the experience of kind of the pure emotion or the pure spirit of the music rather than kind of attaching it to like some sort of uh, memories or nostalgias or things like that when the music sounds like itself I think the pure emotion can come through is there some concrete uh, method that you use to come up with those, to find those new creative processes to push yourself out of the places where you've comfortably been before? Well, I mean, the processes themselves are unique and they're different, and I'm always coming up with new processes. So, sure. But I think the idea of being able to develop new processes has to do more with creative attitude. And that's something that um, uh, maybe is inherent or or at the at the cultivation of imagination in a person, you know, and the cultivation of intuition, that way of approaching things, I think, is the most important part of the oral tradition of what so-called jazz, I don't really use that term, but we call it creative music, or really to put it in a cultural context, to call it African-American music, which is really the the um, uh, uh, the source and the wellspring of this music, that so-called jazz music. And of course, my music, I don't think really sounds like jazz in that way. And I'm trying to express my own life experiences. But to go back to that important part of that element of that music is that it's an oral tradition. 
and that means that the older musicians um, uh, uh, pass on um, certain kinds of knowledge and wisdom to the younger musicians. So, of course, you know, we know that uh, uh, Miles Davis played with Charlie Parker and then John Coltrane played with Miles Davis and all these kinds of very famous uh, apprenticeship situations. But to bring that idea full circle to your question, what I learned from my mentors, and by the way, my mentors, important mentors, um, of course, the most significant, and I can talk about them more later, but Yusuf Latif, Don Cherry, um, on hand drums, Big Black, Charles Moore and Ken Cox from Detroit, Fred Anderson from Chicago. These are important mentors. But what I learned from them, now to answer your question, is about creative attitude, ways of thinking, methodologies. How do they look at music? How do you think about music? What are some of the different ways and ideas to look at things? And one of the things I learned early on was that uh, is to look at elements, pure elements, because the more you move into the higher universal elements of music itself, in other words, transcending style, and get into these universals, which I can talk about more later. But anyway, we were just talking about sound and motion at that point, uh, intervals, different kinds of rhythms. The more you look at the universals and in terms of elements, the more personal your music can actually become. So, um, you know, over a period of time, I think I've been able to evolve and have enough knowledge and, and study uh, to project a music out there that just sounds like itself. So when confronted with the blank page, so to speak, mm. uh, and and I guess at this elemental level, is the man. There's probably no universal answer to this, but can you talk about what what you deal with first when it's time to let this creative process begin? Right. Well, there can be a couple of different ways. Sometimes, um, uh, uh, um, for example, sometimes I'll, I'll be working with um, an, an intervallic system like triple diminished for example is one that i've been looking at lately and was just um and uh and tell people what that is who might not know well it's a little bit um uh uh, it's going to be hard to explain without demonstrating it but and it might be more technical sounding but anyway there's three diminished seventh chords in the 12 tone system so basically you can design certain kind of symmetric patterns by choosing one note from each of those three di- trip, three diminished seventh chords okay. sequentially. 
So, uh, for example, you end up, you could end up with a, a pattern that might go down a perfect fourth, up a half step, and then up another half step to the first diminished chord, and then down a fourth, up a half, up a half, down a fourth, up a half. So once you start looking at inversions of these and different ways of orchestrating them, for example, I might start to come up with something interesting, uh, and also that might be, uh, uh, at the end of the day, it has to serve the heart. It has to be expressive. Now, sometimes I get compositional ideas um, when I'm practicing playing my hand drums and uh, something comes into mind. Sometimes um, things are just uh, beamed down from the cosmos, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, 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 a melody or something comes into your head. And I think it does for a lot of people. But, you know, maybe it's something that you might take seriously, you know. So, sure. You know, Beethoven, I mean, where did the... You know, I mean, where do these these themes come from? So, uh, and of course, then you choose them or discard them and develop them in different kinds of ways. So I think ultimately it does, in a way, it's either beamed down from the com cosmos or maybe dredged up from the unconscious. But that's back to what I was speaking about before, the idea of the cultivation of intuition and uh, uh, the development of imagination. These are the most crucial parts to me, you know. Is that why it was important for you to have a studio with skylights for the cosmos? Oh, for yeah, yeah. No, well, no, the skylights are so that I can have light in here <laughs> without windows. You know, it's right. still private. Yeah, yeah. No, I think those those things come. They they uh, they uh, uh, you know they arrive. Who knows how they? It's, who knows <laughs> right. how they how they arrive from? I mean, listen. But you know, after you've been doing music for a long time. One of the things is studiousness is always part of it. Mm. So re, I call it research and development, and we're always doing that. And that's that's uh, uh, you know our capacity, the 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 intellect that we've been given, but also as I said, the 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 uh, cultivation of the intuitive and um, uh, allowing for this, you know, things. I mean, sometimes it's observing nature, you know, I mean, just, uh, and it can be observing human nature. It can be a snippet of something that rises up from your memory or a dream. Um, all these things, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, I like that idea of research and development, and it, it brings to mind, uh, I was at a, a festival recently, and over the course of the festival, spoke to many different musicians in the course of watching other people play. Mm, interesting. And many times musicians would say, yeah, this is good, but it's, I mean, this is more X than Y, mm. or this is a jazz festival, and this music is more this than this. Mm -hmm. And the more I was hearing comments like that, the more it made me think, it, it seems like that's putting up kind of a barrier between actually experiencing what right. those people are playing they're not they're not playing it so that it fits snugly into your label they're hopefully making authentic genuine music right and it right. seems like if if it's necessary to say well this is x or this is y mm. this is jazz this is whatever it seems like you've already removed the possibility of really being impacted by the music in a real way and when i hear you talk it seems like yeah that's to some degree what you're speaking about in terms of being open to to what happens absolutely well as an artist uh at least myself i don't think about labels you know i mean i think about um in fact you know we sort of bristle i do at the idea of labels uh 
I'm not unaware of the idea of buying and selling, and I know that people, when they want lettuce, there's in the grocery store. You need to know where to go, right? You know, as opposed to peanut butter or something. But here's the thing: buying and selling of things, the commodification of something. That fundamental gesture is something that maybe is, uh, you know, about human activities of exchanging, you know. But the creative work really has its source in the in 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 breath. Okay, breath breath is the is the is the first is the is the is the seed of the gesture of any kind of creative gesture. So by the time this manifests from breath into gestures of performing, creating, in our case, music we're talking about. And then when it comes into contact with this, with the materialism of um, uh, commodity, then, you know, at best there's going to be friction and at worst it can be conflict, you know. But it's just a different thing. So uh, for artists, you know, so all these things about you know, what's a jazz festival, you know, what's this music, what's that music, I, you know, uh, to me, those conversations really are always revolving around people, you know, buying and selling uh, tickets, CDs, and all that kind of stuff. But creativity, uh, look, creativity is greater than commodification. And in fact, creativity is greater than religion. Creativity is a, is a human capacity um, uh that every human being has in potential, you know, it's one of the things that makes us, in fact, maybe it, we could speculate that maybe it is the thing which defines us as sentient beings different from any other living organism on the planet, you know, so that means that it's really the connection to uh, what we could call mysticism. I don't mean religion, but I mean mysticism or and uh, personal evolution um, and it really resonates with the idea of, you know, uh, even like why we're here, you know, and that, and that, that to me is what, what being an artist is really about. And this research and development is a beautiful thing because it's, it, 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 it ranges all the way from the, the activity of music all the way into like the motivated, the motivations, you know. And when you describe it that way, it makes it sound much more, much more life or death, much more dealing with the fundamentals of existence than just, oh, it would be fun to be a jazz musician, so I think I'll try that out. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that's, that, that's, uh, and I think that's always been there. I mean, and I think that's, you know, when you, you know, when you, you know, paid me the compliment about the music earlier, I think that's where the power can be in the music. I mean, when we listen to, uh, Thelonious Monk, it's like there's, there's that, that, that's the quality of truth that comes in there, you know. Uh, it has to do with the mystery, you know, or mysteries, you know. Um, John Coltrane, I think, in the, in in this music, kind of made made it overt uh, with the titles of his music and uh, his poetry, like "A Love Supreme," of sure. course. Is, but but it was always there long before that. You know, he just made it overt. So I mentioned Thelonious Monk. I mean, I think there's a mysticism in his music, absolutely, you know. Um, well, and the people you mentioned as mentors, obviously. I mean, folks like Yusef Latif, Don Cherry. I mean, yeah. you're getting – Fred Anderson, you're getting right to the heart of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's what I'm saying is when you talk about the mentorship, actually those – 
it's like being around them. I mean, that's, that's the thing that is the most important it has to do with creative attitude. And so when I say creative attitude, that does lead into methodology and understanding how they actually work with elements. But I think the more significant thing has to do with, um, uh, a way of living and a way of looking at, mm. at, 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 at what it means to be a creative being, um, uh, as a lifelong endeavor, you know? Can you explain or do you understand yourself why you think that way about music? Was there, was there some point in your life or some initial person you met that made you realize, okay, there's more to this than I need to just get good at my instrument or I need to learn this repertoire, but there's something else here? Hmm. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's, you know, that's so interesting. You know, in Sufism, they say that the, uh, the first thing you have to do before you move on the path towards uh, consciousness is wake up, you know. So in a way, I kind of see in your question that idea, you know, is like when is there the awakening of the fact that we are uh, uh, spiritual beings? And as I said, again, this says nothing. I'm not talking about religion now, you know. I'm talking about uh that we have a, a, a spiritual aspect to us. There's something, there's something to us more than, um, uh, matter, you know? So, you know, it's, it's a question. I don't know if there's a, a moment. I know there was some musical, uh, well, my dad took me to hear a lot of great artists. So I was actually lucky enough to hear, uh, musicians like Louis Armstrong and Duke Ellington, Max Roach, Stan Getz in person, uh, and also to be able to go sometimes and hear um, people like uh, Giolini and George Schulte conduct the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Those kinds of experiences were really powerful. One time, though, I remember I, I – well, but a couple things. Okay, when I was uh, 13, I discovered – I lived – I grew up on the south side of Chicago. Mm -hmm. So – Actually, uh, Otis Spann and Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters lived not far, you know. So I got to hear, uh, Howlin' Wolf. You could, on Sunday afternoons, you could go to the checkerboard and hear these guys. So when I heard Howlin' Wolf, I think live, I have to say, there was something, um, now I would call it like that, that this person was like a shaman, you know. He was like a, some kind of vehicle for something greater than himself. I could feel it. And around that time, too, was when the art ensemble, I think they had returned from Europe. I got to hear them in concert at Idenois Hall at the University of Chicago. And that concert was also, I would say, was a transcendent experience where I felt there was something greater than music, you know, that music, uh, um, there was something else going on about how it was moved from with the music. Now, another experience that was maybe pivotal, I mean, these were all kind of, you know, maybe confirm these things, but in 1977, uh, I've been driving a cab in Chicago and I made enough money to go to Ghana, West Africa. I lived there for about a year. And, um, uh, uh, it was, it was quite an experience. I think I was 21 or 22 and I actually didn't even really know anybody when I went there. This is, you have to understand a different time to go there. It took three weeks for me to be able to make a phone call uh, back to my parents to let them know I got there. Okay. Wow. You know, we're not, this is just, 
historical context of no internet <laughs> right. and no and really hardly any phone you know and um but it was a beautiful experience i lived there i never really had to even pay to like sleep anywhere or but i pretty early on i met um a, a wonderful drummer musician emmanuel kisto was his name and he was involved in what they call the tigre or brekete and uh uh i got to see uh, music, drumming and singing primarily, where they called down spirits in, in, into the people. And, um, that was so powerful. I went twice a week. I used to go to all those meetings and, um, it made me realize, it reconfirmed for me the idea that music comes from something greater than music, and music can be about something than greater than music. In other words, it travels through this, this amazing alchemical, invisible realm of vibration, but it's coming from something else. And I've always felt like that I wanted my music to also be about something else. I was never, and even to this day, I'm not interested in music for music's sake. It's a vehicle. I play my drums. Of course, I'm fascinated and studious with what I do as a hand drummer. But it's a vehicle for something else. And I'm happy to shift vehicles. I'm happy to move from playing my hand drums to, uh, you know, playing piano with Yusef or playing some other kind of uh, uh, the sintir, the string instrument, or the last 10 years, conducting, you know, which is what I do with my organic orchestra. And that's another way. Or when I did this both and record, I made these 10 cosmograms that go with each one goes with one of the, their, their visual intuitive visual representations of each composition. And I made 10, one for each composition. And I then for the concert we did, the pre-release concert for the CD, I made them in six foot by four foot banners and we put them up in the, in the concert venue. So wherever it goes, you know, it's just whatever the creative impulse takes me. Um, but it's not really about music in that way, you see. Do you think there was something, do you think there is something inside you that makes you particularly receptive to that? I mean, for example, both in the story of, I don't think there's, not everyone in the world would go see both Holland Wolf and the AACM right. and be emotionally impacted right. by both those right. things, particularly right. as a child, yeah, as a young, yeah, as a young yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was, you know, was the music in the neighborhood too. I mean, I have to say there wasn't, like, it was just like, that's what they were, they were, it was right there. So it wasn't like something uh extraordinary and i think um i i to me it's not a a big stretch 
But okay, but to answer your question, I think that that uh, has to do with what we could call capacity, mm-hmm. and um, everybody has capacity, but it's the cultivation of this capacity. Again, it's back to this idea of cultivating, uh, cultivating intuition, and cultivating open-mindedness, open-heartedness. Um, yeah, you know, maybe you know everybody's given uh, some element of that, but I think it's important now that people who are the so-called listeners, the meaning of the music only happens uh, in this interaction between, you know, the, the struck sound and the, and the ability of a person to receive it and be moved by it, you know. So I think nowadays it's one of the things that uh, is that there's, there's um, we need um, deep listeners in the world. My father is like that. My father, and, and maybe I should be have been talking about him first because he he's uh, in his he's uh, eighty five now, and he still goes to about four to eight concerts a week every week, and he's always done that his whole life. And uh, probably a person not unlike yourself or some other people we know who really. And some of these, except in- I get tired, and I'm 37. Right, right, right. I know he gets t- exactly. But I mean, but he loves, and he'll describe. You know, he the other day he went to see. Uh, I think the the Rites of Spring, which I'm sure he's heard many, many times. But as he's describing it to me on the phone, he's like, um, uh, he's moved to tears. You know, and so I know uh, that he this love of the music. In fact, I think sometimes he loves music more than even some musicians I know, you know, this really, so it's such a beautiful thing, you know, um, and I, and one of the things I love about living in New York is that um, there's a lot of people who, who, who come, like, for example, to hear my organic orchestra. We do a month of Mondays in residence at Roulette a couple times a year, and there's some people there who are there every concert, you know, and um, that real passion, you know, that passion, but man, what is, you know, but what is life without being passionate about something and about cultivating this idea of cultivating intuition also means cultivating. It's an attitude, you know, it's like, and, 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 um, when you're confronted with music as a listener that you don't understand or have never heard before, sometimes the, the one way is to shut it out. And the other way is to say, well, let me, you know what is the feeling in this music you know let the feeling in maybe i don't understand it but but i can i can um i can certainly understand the feeling that's that's behind it that's what i've always loved about listening to and studying but listening to music from all over the world sometimes you know when when i listen to um kalsum for example um i don't know what she's singing i can go and look it up you know now but i mean she's singing in arabic but I I know that I am understanding the feeling of it. Yeah, you know, is she is Um Kalsum the person to whom I can't remember her age, but is she the person to whom Billie Holiday once listened and said, "I don't know what she's singing, but I can tell she's got the blues." I that I don't know that question. I don't know that story, but uh, I, th- I think it might be her. Yeah, I think at the, okay. toward the end of Billie Holiday's life and the beginning of Um Kalsum, or the, the kind of the early stages right, of Um right. career, somebody played her a record. Of oh. Um Kalsum and said, what do you think of this? And she said, I don't know what she's saying, but I know she's got the blues. Wow, that's yeah. interesting. I'm, I hope I'm getting the anecdote right. But Well, but the other way right? Yeah, and then people all over the world can understand the feeling in Billie Holiday's music. If you hear it, you can understand the words. The words are beautiful, but 
uh, I'm sure if you don't speak English, you're going to hear the feeling in that music. Sure. Right? Yeah. To go back to something you were talking about earlier, uh, the the triple diminished mm. composition. When you use a, a restrictive set of boundaries like that, is it a is it a way to kind of channel this this music or this creative energy in a direction you might not have taken otherwise because you've imposed these unique restrictions on yourself? Yeah, it's a it's it's a process. I mean, looking at interval, it's just looking at elements uh, in a in a particular way, you know. And uh, so it's like a prism, you know, but. Not a prison, a prism. Right. Okay. okay. Right. <laughs> and and I don't limit. I mean, I don't. I don't. Um, uh, like I said, it has to serve the heart. It has to serve the feeling of the music. But um, yeah, it, it gets you. It 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 just opens new doors of thinking about things in different ways. Um, in the in the uh, European system of music that that a lot of us write in, I mean, I'm not exclusively write in that, but there's there's um there's only six intervals, right? There's there's a half step, a whole step, a minor third, a major third, a perfect fourth, and a tritone. So and everything else is inversions. So and when you start to look at the various kinds of relationships. And methodologies, um, you can discover interesting things, and this is what all the the uh, you know Duke Ellington and and uh, you know if I I've been fortunate to spend time speaking with Ornette Coleman or Don Cherry introduced me to some of the harmonic ideas. That's what they're he has his way of thinking about intervals. I mean, other things, transpositions too. Uh, uh, Henry Threadgill, a lot of the composers look at different ways. Um, Giant Steps is a good example. And Yusuf Latif has been um, really a real mentor to me. And Just to interrupt you. Yeah. Tell people why Giant Steps is a good example. Well, because because the, the, um, the, ma- the mathematical s- system of which the, the um, uh, base movement uh, is move was was different than anything that had come before, um, uh, so Col- and I you know Col- Coltrane was looking at these things. Miles Davis, you know, looking at things, uh, you know, double diminished. Coltrane was looking at what are called pentat- pentatonic um, uh, musical arenas. See, you have to have some kind. Of, you you want to have the arena in which you want to work within, and once. Uh, we moved beyond um, the Tin Pan Alley forms that were really prevalent in the 40s and the 50s with secondary dominance and all that. Um, when you get rid of one thing, you have to replace it with something else, is is my feeling. And um, I grew up with and am able to and enjoy playing f- freely, openly. But I'm also really fascinated with the tension between um, uh, uh, freedom and um, how would you put it? Freedom and and uh, and structure, you know. Um, so, or to look at it another way, let's take ragas, for example, in North Indian ragas or Indian ragas. So, a raga to me, uh, a raga is. This idea—it's more than a than a scale. It's a set of, of of intervals, intervallic patterns that ascend and then descend. 
and they have very uh, uh, particular ways in which notes can be approached, which notes are allowed, which notes are emphasized. So, and those are used to serve an emotional uh, expression, right? They have times of days in which they're played. They have feelings they're meant to express. So, for example, if I make uh, these matrices that I make, these these uh, vertical and horizontal matrices I use for some of my scoring, and I use, let's say, a um, hexatonic, a symmetric hexatonic scale in, in order to do that, I can make a matrix from that, matrix from that, and it's its own little universe. You know, when you get rid of one thing, you have to replace it with something else. So this is this is another way. And within that universe, or galaxy, you should call it, all kinds of things can happen musically because there's there's relationships of intervals, uh, and each interval has its own rasa, it has its own coloration and aesthetic to it. Sure. Does that make sense? It yeah. does, and it, and it sounds like that everything you just said could equally apply to things people might be more familiar with, like the 12-bar blues is its own structure in which in that universe, any well, anything can happen, I guess. Right. But there are certain things that are emphasized, certain notes uh, that are emphasized over others, for example. So, yeah, it's a structure. Yeah. It's it's a form. And it's uh, but it's also a, and it's and it's a feeling too, you right. know. So that's forms and feelings, you know. That's what you're. That's what we're. we're um, does does this this matrix idea is that associated with some feeling as well, or is well, or not? The, well, it 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 is it is. I mean, the the musicians project it I was gonna, yeah, just onto the performance it, of it, right? but it gives them. But it does have. I mean, for example, you know, the symmetric hexatonic scale. It's a uh, half step and minor third consecutively, so there's six notes, and I think it it does. I mean, I you know, um, uh, it's it's different than the sound feeling of like a double diminished right. sc- sc- octatonic scale. Um, if you if you look into it and see, you know, minor third doesn't have the feeling and sound of a major third, and if it's descending, it's different than it's ascending. All these things, and of course, what instrument's playing it, and how, what kind of, you know, but but I think intervals do have a and the potentiality of emotional resonance sure. in them. That's why ragas are the way they are, you know. Right. Um, that's why in Spinal Tap they say D minor, the saddest of all keys. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Well, that's yeah, that 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 that, that might be something to do with that, you know. So, um, uh, uh, you know, there's this, but it's more, it's more than that because it's more, it's it's it, we're not talking about happy and sad things, you know. We're talking about. Um, colorations you know shades and colorations of and and uh uh complex feelings that don't really have again don't necessarily have to have a label to them sure you know um and it's not a one-to-one thing i mean the meaning of it that's the beauty of it is like what you so if you listen to this recording both and and a particular piece uh, uh um on the recording uh you might have a different feeling it might trigger something in you that's different than somebody else you know sure um but going back to this thing about elements um this is not to to try and be obscure or anything these things are practicums for me you know this is this is a um you know this is the 
the uh, uh, theory. And, and, you know, the great masters like my mentor, Yusuf Latif, for example, one of them, and, uh, or his peers, who he did a lot of research and study with uh, uh, John Coltrane and Eric Dolphy, for example. They spent a lot of time together doing these same kind of research and looking for new sounds, uh, which would give us n- new ideas and fresh uh, prototypical expression. The philosophy, part of the philosophy of this music, African-American music, could be really traced from um, to the Dogon people, the cliff dwellers in Mali. They have an, a the concept they call me, M-I. And me means uh, the spirit of the person expressed through the voice of an instrument. So that's what we're looking for. I mean, that's what we hear. If you hear Lester Young, you know it's Lester Young. And if you hear El- in one note, and if I hear Elvin Jones, I know it's Elvin Jones in one note. So that's what we're looking for as a performer and as a composer. I mean, these are the two, uh, two dynamics of what I, the interactive dynamics of what I, what I do as an artist. It's composing and performing. And, and as a composer, I'm trying to find, find a vehicle for the musicians who play my music uh, to be able to do that themselves, express their own voice and that freely, but at the same time serving some sense of the overall aesthetic mm. of the music. Um, that's why it's important the alchemy of and who you choose to be to work with in your ensembles is very important. And you've really you've anticipated my next question mm. about exactly about uh, this both and recording and the moving pictures band uh, that it seems like you have not a not a set but a very a very thought out concept mm. behind the recording mm. and so therefore I was yeah I was going to ask does that mean a it's a very important to get exactly the right people to play it but also how then as the as the band leader or the person who's kind of shepherding the session uh, what what responsibilities does that place on you and how do you create an environment where the music can succeed? Right, right. Well, that, I mean, that is, you know, kind of this idea of, uh, you know, maybe moving, maybe adding it, add in there, you know, myself as a performer, percussionist, composer, and maybe the third thing we have to say, we could call it like a band leader, you know. So, and those things all kind of morph into each other in a way. The band leader idea morphs into the compositional idea because I am, I would say, from that, uh, we could call it the Duke Ellington School in the sense that I write for the musicians who are in my group. Sure. So Moving Pictures has been an ongoing morphing ensemble, I don't know, for 10, 
since 1992, maybe, I think. So as the personnel change, I think about, um, I think about writing f like almost like concertos for each of these musicians, you know, mm -hmm. I want to, and again, then also maybe I can reference Miles Davis where Miles was so incredible at choosing the musicians who had a particular kind of alchemy with each other. That was part of the creative process and then creating the environment for them to do their best work you know and that's what i aspire to do is to really create an environment musical environment which inspires these musicians to actually maybe reach to something that they wouldn't do otherwise so that's part of it too because they're they're interacting with so i look for musicians who for example are interested in these things we're talking about that they're research and development oriented musicians who where we spend time together in development of these of of being able to manifest these ideas like we, we may happen to talk about triple diminished that's something that can come through in something something i might compose but it also can become as a composition it can become the parameter where the musicians need to understand and be facile in playing inside of that concept um so uh kenny wessel for example who's been working with me the great guitar player you know and I knew he was an R&D-oriented guy because he spent 11 years playing with Ornette Coleman, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and uh, he's really taken this idea, just to stay with this triple diminished idea, uh, since I introduced it to him, you know, f whenever we start four or five years ago, maybe, or more, six, seven, um, where he's taken it and done his own research and brought his own slant to it so he brings that so it becomes part and then graham haynes and ralph jones everybody starts to understand this so it becomes a language like the blues you know becomes a language that we can share and everybody recognizes sure. it so it's not like there's endless amounts of things that i bring to the table compositionally um i have there's a a, a group of uh, uh, of elements that i work with for example, the rhythm. I think it's important to talk about the rhythm because of the sound aspect and the rhythm aspect. And the rhythm aspect, I use a concept I call cyclic verticalism, which comes from my many, many years of studying in North Indian music, tabla playing, and also many, many years involved in African and African diasporic drumming. And I've never been a percussionist or composer really interested in kind of replicating or playing any sort of official notarized rhythms, even though I've studied many, but interested in the idea, again, of the concepts of how these, how these rhythm, rhythm, uh, uh, um, um, schools or, or cultures, rhythm cultures are organized. So within cycle, cyclic verticalism, that means that you can take, um, units of twos and threes, which would be even and odd, and combine them horizontally, as in two plus three gives you a five-beat cycle, like you would find in North Indian music. And the verticality, that's the cyclic part, the verticalism is like a harmony, where two against three is happening in the same period of time, becomes uh, the, the fundamental polymeter. So... And in fact, there's a philosophical basis for this. That's the a male and female aspect. Again, the Dogon people, the do, the cliff dwellers of Mali, they call the even element is called Yang. Uh, uh, is the Yin element? I'm sorry, they call it Tolo, which is the female 
and that's even. So that's a yin element, or you could call it um, uh, a shakti in the Indian. And then in the 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 odd is the male energy, which is called uh, nya or yang, or in the Indian it would be Shiva. So you have this these male female energies, and they have a proverb. It says every rhythm is a marriage and interaction between male and female energies. So this two and the three is a very fundamental quality of the mathematics of how rhythm can work. Of course, there's language and there's dance are the other two elements that go into what makes rhythm. So my concept is cyclic verticalism. We combine these cycles and polyrhythms in various ways to create what I call signal rhythms. And signal rhythms um, uh, in West Africa, for example, you'll find some that are quite common. Uh, the most signal rhythm that a lot of people might be familiar with is the one that goes again we're talking about something that's 12 like the 12 tones and is five has an element of five and seven it's polymetric it can be thought of as three uh three groups of four four groups of three all these things are in there you can generate new ones. So I generate these signal rhythms that I've, over the years, that I use 15-beat cycles, 21-beat cycles, 35, 33. So when we use these, I can my musicians in my group become familiar with these. Also in the organic orchestra group, they become familiar with them. So I don't have to re... Uh, when they learn something new, a new rhythm, it's it's made built what what I call uh, um, uh, um, ostinatos of circularity, which are be these bigger cycles. They're made up of these smaller units, so that it's easy for the musicians to learn them because they're familiar with the smaller units. Sure. So we're not always trying to learn and reinvent. I'm trying to get everybody away from the paper, not really deal with paper. So when I have a new, like there's a composition on the new. Uh, uh, both and recording. I mean, this is sort of technical information. I don't know who's interested in this, but anyway, just to finish the thought, it's in a 27-beat cycle. It's the one I think called Dance Drama Part 4. So, that's, uh, it's 27 against 18, so there's something moving in two groups of nine, which, and then, and then 13 and 14, and the 13 and the 14 are made up of a signal rhythms of, 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 um, 12 and th uh, 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 of 6 and 7 
and then six and eight. So the musicians, they already know these, so it's just building upon that. So it's not sure. starting over again all the Using time. Using the words to form sentences. Yeah. And- yeah, the words to form sentences and sentences to make paragraphs. Right. And so you're back to, again to what's very interesting to me is this idea of working with form. So we are, and how to make your way through the form. And there's a, and there's a multiplicity of ways to do it. Uh, it's not just one linear way. So it's very challenging and interesting for the musicians and every composition. Everybody has their own functionality and aesthetic uh, uh, stance, too. So again, get it, but just coming back to the, the musicians, because they're the ones who, who breathe life into it. So there are these kind of these frameworks. There's sort of the sound frameworks that are based upon... Um, intervallic slash harmonic elements and then the rhythm part which is the motion which is based upon this concept of cyclic verticalism so like in Indian music where they have ragas and talas that they call for their you know you can have a different raga and you can play in seven beat cycle or ten beat cycle so I have these different elements that come that are manifest in these different aesthetic arenas that then can be moved and fitted in different ways with different rhythm cycles as the musicians become familiar with the elements that we're using we become really free with it and then where the beautiful thing is that the music sounds uh it sounds like itself it doesn't sound like anything else you know Several times during this conversation, you have used the phrase African-American music. Yeah. Which is a little, I guess, surprising to me, uh, not because I deny the truth of the African-American contribution to the music, but because your music doesn't feel to me like it's right in that bag. Right. I mean, there's, you know, for example, there's this Indian influence, both right. uh, in terms of the sound palette of the percussion instruments and also in terms of the rhythmic element that seems to take it out of just... Uh, purely the realm of African-American experience. Plus right. there's the African diaspora uh, music as well. So I guess it's the hyphen American thing that uh, I get. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to start wading into some other um, sure. waters here. And of course I'm not African-American myself, although I grew up in an African-American neighborhood in the South side of Chicago, a very mixed neighborhood. But what I'm talking about is that, that, this, the music that that we call creative music or creative improvised music or jazz, that that's culturally the 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 where it started. Sure, you know, and and yeah, true enough. People uh, from you know uh, every kind of background in the world and every country in the world is participating in this music, and they love to participate in it because it 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 has so much. 
uh, individual expression in it. But but I'm I'm just speaking about the cultural history of the music and that that the psychology of the approach of that music I think is connected is really connected with the experience of African American survival coming into the new world. I mean, it happened here, you know, and it's happened with and it can it happened from the experience of African American people here. Sure, uh, you know, Louis Armstrong or Buddy Bolden or. Jelly Roll Morton or whatever, going back to the histories all the way, you know, through to Miles Davis and John Coltrane. But, yeah, of course, then you get, you know, these masters like, you know, Bill Evans. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not trying to be exclusive about it, but I think there's been a lot of especially in the new music you know, there's been there's actually a lot of musicians sort of are reluctant to acknowledge it or even don't even know themselves. And I don't I don't see what the problem is about acknowledging what the roots are of the music. So getting back to your your but your comment that my music doesn't sound like that. I don't know exactly what it should sound like. You know, George Lewis, I don't know if you read George's book about the but you know, he spent half of the book talking about why the AACM music is great, what they call great black music, even though it doesn't have the qualities of what people expect black music to sound sure, like. Right. So, but my music is my mu I mean, uh, uh, when I'm talking about both and, we're talking about Adam Rudolph's music, but the creative attitude, the way that, that to approach things, the fundamental yeah, the fundamental approach philosophically and practicum really comes out of what people call so-called jazz. I like to call, I love Yusuf Latif, who I've, you know, been working with since 1988. He calls his music auto-physio-psychic music, which means music coming from the psychological and, and uh, spiritual um, and physical self. I like that. I, I think about my music now mostly in terms of yoga. I mean, I've been practicing Hatha yoga since 1975, and the last, four, actually, since I moved out here, I found an Ashtanga. There's a kind of Hatha yoga called Ashtanga yoga. I've been practicing very seriously, and uh, yoga is yoga means the unity of mind, body, and spirit. Um, and uh, my tabla teacher. Pandit Taranath Rao, great, great master um, who's passed away now. Studied with Tabla with him for many years. Uh, he said, music in India, music is considered one of the forms of yoga. Mm. And that makes sense to me, you know, this idea of mind, body, and spirit. I mean, here we are, you and I were talking about, or I'm, you know, explicating about sort of these these uh, uh, elements of technique, technical elements, right? In terms of rhythm or intervals, we're just touching on it lightly. But that's part of the R and D, and then uh, that's mind, you know. And then, of course, spirit. We talk about a little bit, and this is this is uh, it has to do with mystery, you know, and 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 these things that can't really imagination, creativity, and uh, uh, and then the body, which of course, whether it's the human voice or my hand striking the hand drum when I play. Uh, this is where things manifest, you know. This is tech. This is what technique is all about for me: is um, being able to play whatever I can imagine to play. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's important that throughout uh, this conversation, as as people are listening to the show, they'll have been hearing excerpts from the record mm. because I think it's easy to get 
not lost in, but to get overwhelmed by the technical underpinnings. Yeah. But then as soon as you hear the music, I mean, I didn't, uh, I wasn't thinking of, you know, all of these various beat cycles and so on and so forth when I was listening to the music, not because I can't understand it, but because I didn't know of those right, things. Right. And I just listened to the music and as music, it works, you know, yeah, as, yeah. as communication between human beings, right, it works. Right, right, right. So, it, you know, it seems like you, as you were talking about creating this environment where the musicians get so comfortable that this, this language is just another language they speak. It's not something they have to struggle through or translate in their brains. It's just now become an innate organic part of who they are as players so that you can just make music. Exactly. Yeah. You're back to this, you're, you're this place of, of, of freedom. So this, and, and by the way, this, te- you know, we just, you know, sort of wandered into this, some of these technical things, but, you know, I just want to reiterate it. Those are a means to the end, you know, exactly. and I'm not, I'm not, and I don't really, really wear it on the, the sleeve. Like, uh, um, I don't care if people know about these things or not. And I don't want it to even be something that could get in the way of the direct, uh, 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 human experience of it. But, you know, sometimes like um, uh, looking at visual art for something like I've been reading about Kandinsky lately and and, uh, because there was that really great show last year at the Guggenheim and got interested in him and reading about his ideas about things enhanced my appreciation. It didn't make it make it where I had to dissect it. And it um, I already really got a great feeling from his art and just looked at it as these things of sort of awesome beauty. But then knowing something about how he thought, it enhanced it for me. Right. So that's what I hope. But 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 um And that's that whole idea of like unweaving the rainbow didn't doesn't describing how a rainbow is created make it less magnificent. No, I think it makes it more magnificent to understand exactly the incredible interaction of physical particles and light that creates it. That's a that's a great example. And but I think you know I'm imagining maybe you know enough of your listeners are you know technically they you know oh sure yeah those things you yeah. know so people and it's good to to share those things but and it's also just good to know that we you know it's funny there's this whole idea uh, in improvisation when you move out of the world of people who know about it where you know they say you know it's you just made it up or right. or it's some kind of amazing mystery that nobody could ever do you know it's sort of this this and it's it's neat you know it's it's a it's an art uh it's an art process and an art form like anything else and it takes a, a study and experience uh that's part of why i started my larger group the organic orchestra uh 10 12 years ago in california was to begin to share some of the knowledge i had that I had learned from my mentors and to, um, you know, put these ideas into practice, you know, in, in that way. Can you talk about the, the musicians who are on this record with you? Yeah, it's, uh, uh, be my, my pleasure to kind of mention them and introduce them a little bit because some are, might be familiar to your listeners. Uh, I imagine people know Joe Bowie, uh, the great trombonist and, um, Joe and I go back quite a ways and his being from St. Louis, and uh, my coming from Chicago, there's a real commonality of sort of creative approach. So I was really glad when uh, we've worked together before. Um, I was really glad when he was able to do this with us. Um, all of the musicians I really wanted, I was looking for musicians who were multi-instrumentalists. I love the idea of um, 
uh, really heavy an orchestral sound, even though it's an eight-piece group. So, he, of course, Joe's a great vocalist and harmonica player besides the trombone and his electronics. Ralph Jones is, is my longest collaborator. Um, he's been in all of the moving pictures groups, and before that we played in the group called Eternal Wind. Uh, and even before that, uh, with the in, back in Detroit in 1973, we played together at the Ann Arbor Blues and Jazz Festival. And he and I have both were he's kind of a real saxophone woodwind protege of Yusuf Latif's. Um, but he's I consider him sort of the greatest woodwind player that people haven't heard of. They should, you know, just really unique, you, as you can hear on the album. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a couple of those concertos for him with just the strings, the organic orchestra strings. Uh, so I'm mentioning the string players. I have a group called Organic Orchestra. There's about 30 musicians here. And then I travel around the world and teach that concept to different orchestras. Uh, so the string players from the New York Organic Orchestra, I recorded them on this record also. Um, and then Graham Haynes, the, you know, most people know is beautiful cornet player. He's been working with me since I moved to New York. Um, I was on the last recording of the moving pictures, as was Kenny Wessel. Um, who I mentioned, I think, in earlier. And um, uh, I was really fortunate to get Jerome Harris, who probably people know. And he was amazing because he, he, you know, he brought not only the acoustic bass guitar, which I love that sound, but, but his slide pedal steel guitar, which was pretty magical. Yeah. And, um, uh, uh, and then oh, I should mention, and then Brahim Fribgain, who's been working with me also in the moving pictures for a number of years. We met working together with Hassan Hakmoun, the great Ganawa artist from Morocco. Brahim is a Berber musician from Morocco, plays oud and percussion, and is equally like phenomenally gifted on both. He's really special in a way too. I've worked with so many musicians from different cultures, different backgrounds, and um, he really has the, uh, he's really been able to open up and learn a lot about like how we do this music here, you know, what we're calling jazz or improvisational music, which really has to do with a way of being able to move into whatever situation you're, you're in and kind of be flexible and at the same time serve the upliftment of, of, the, of the music, you know. And that's a really and, – and, and different than like a folkloric musician who does that but in a very particular context. Sure. So Brahim's great with that. Uh, and then Matt Kilmer, who I met through working with my organic orchestra, and he's a young, like, just like really gifted percussionist. So one of the things we were doing on the album – with the three of us, Matt, Brahim, and I, as I compose, um, uh, in addition to composing the 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 um, melodic forms and harmonic forms and all that, I I was interested in this record on composing, uh, uh, looking into the idea of composing uh, percussion ensemble music. Mm-hmm. You know, not yet really having the drum, the trap drums, but actually that idea of um, uh, how to create percussion percussion ensemble music and um which is a great you know which is its own challenge an interesting thing has a great tradition of you know if you think of dudu and Di rose or or uh, uh um i don't know james brown or something is sort of the you know is a genius composer of like rhythm you know yeah along with everything or else you know yeah 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 exactly so anyway so putting that that together with that and i think that's just make sure 
I think that's eight musicians and myself. And I'm playing, you know, we didn't really in the interview talk a lot. I mean, we talked more about my compositional interests, but it really, as I said before, my, my musical, as an artist, I'm also project my ideas through what I play on my hand drums. And so, uh, and I've developed kind of my own syncretic language on the hand drums themselves that, um, you know, are kind of my, my, my performance uh, voice in the instrument. Sure. Yeah. In the, in the, in the ensemble, I should say. Yeah. My, uh, my guest is Adam Rudolph. His new album with his band Moving Pictures is called Both And, and it's been uh, such a pleasure to talk to you about this music today. Thank you very much. Oh, pleasure. My pleasure, too. That's music from Adam Rudolph and his Moving Pictures band. The new album is called Both And. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock and presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Please go to TheJazzSession.com and become a member. It is super easy to do. And uh, you can do it for as little as $10 a month or $110 a year. And then there are levels above that, too. Also, if you're interested in keeping up with the show, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, there's two ways to do that. My personal Twitter account is Jason D. Crane, and the show's Twitter account is Jazz Sesh, S-E-S-H. So you can follow either or both of those. Uh, the Jazz Sesh account has only jazz tweets, uh, not just show episodes, but only things related to jazz. And my personal account just has a broader range of things. And now, if you would... 
get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.